from the message, which is a uh, real cool translation of the Bible. It eliminates the these and the thous and the hithers and thithers and kind of talks in our language. Sometimes it talks a little blunter than we would like for it to talk, but it talks a little blunter. I want to share the first verse, and then I w want to share uh, verse 17, reading from the message. In the light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up in here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet run, on the road God has called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anybody strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. What a powerful word where the Word of God tells us how we are to treat one another and love one another and care for one another. The Word said that when you come into the house of God in a corporate setting called the church, you come in one way, but you leave another. You should leave here better this morning than when you came in. You should leave here on Wednesday nights better than when you came in. There should be something in that service or that moment that touches your heart or touches your spirit. Psalms 95 says that we are to come to the house of God with three things, a song, a testimony, and an offering. And if the enemy can, he'll try to steal your testimony, steal your song, steal your money, take from you the joy that God wants you to have. We come to the house of God, and we come here to minister one to each other, whether it's a handshake or a high five or a word of encouragement or a moment of visitation. That's why we come into the house of God to be able to speak into one another and love one another. For years, we've identified ourselves as a hospital, an emergency room. An emergency room takes every possible accident, challenge, tragedy. I've never, ever heard of anybody being turned away from an emergency room because they had an emergency. So when you come to the house of God, you're either here to get a miracle or a healing, or you're here to be a part of someone else's miracle or healing. We learn to fly this plane, and then we get people on board, and they have the courage to fly with us. And that's the purpose of coming to the house of God every week, every time the doors are open. Everyone needs a church. You don't realize that until you go places where they don't have a church, and you realize how miserable that people are. Reading from, I believe, the 17th chapter, verse, I'm sorry, verse, and so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. And if you watched the march yesterday by the women, you saw an empty-minded crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, what, watch this, not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go. The Word of God encourages, encourages us this morning not to hang out with people that are empty-headed, people that are ignorant. It's not that they're stupid. They're just ignorant. There are things in my life that I'm ignorant to. I'm ignorant to flying a plane or a helicopter. I, I've been in the co-pilot seat many, many times, one time with Phil Driscoll, one time with Perry Stone. But as far as being able to fly that plane, 
If you, de if you depended upon me, I don't know how to turn the air conditioner on. So we are not going to get very far. So there are things that we are ignorant, ignorant to and ignorant of. But the Word of God says we come to the house of God to learn. We come to the house of God to be a part of what God has for us. Uh, several years ago, Courtney and I made the acquaintance of a band called December Radio. Uh, we came very close. Matter of fact, the lead guitarist has been with me several times, different places in the nation, protecting the cities and counties of killer deer, and we've done a very good job together. But uh, when they were when they were together, not together anymore. They're still love the Lord. They're still ministering, but they're just not a band anymore. December Radio. But uh, they did a song that I want to play for you this morning, if we're ready with that, Austin. And before we play that, I want to read. Uh, sometimes we get caught up in the music that we lose the meaning of the song. I want to read the words of the song, and then we're going to play the song uh, that I pray that you will be blessed. Last Sunday, we started talking about the return of the prodigal and what happens when the prodigal comes home, what God does and what the church does and what's supposed to happen. The words of that song. I used to have a home, a place I started from, a place I called my own. The bright lights and late nights, the devil took me on a midnight ride, left me out in the desert on my own. And now I feel alone. I need a hand to help me find my way back home. I'm a drifter out on a dead-end road trying to find my way back home to get to you, Lord, to get to you. Lord, I've been gone far too long, headed to places I don't belong, and I've got to get back home to you. Sometimes I think about the past, the road that I was on, the road that led me home. I'll walk on another day. I may wonder, but I never stray. I found out the hard way. Sin don't pay. Do you have a friend? And now I feel alone. I need a hand to help me find my way back home. And I remember the prodigal that found himself in a distant land, broke, busted, disgusted, eating pig slop, desperately needing to find his way back home to the Father. I'm a drifter out on a dead-end road trying to find my way back home to get to you. Lord, I've been gone far too long, headed to places I don't belong, and I've got to get back home to you. Oh, when I feel the night is closing in and I can barely breathe the air, I just remember that I've got a friend who really cares, who really cares. place I started from, a place to call my own. But bright lights and late nights, the devil took me on a midnight ride, left me out in the desert on my own. And now I feel alone. I need a hand to help me find my back home I'm a drifter out on a dead end road trying to find my way back home to get to you oh to get to you 
song. As we looked at Luke, the 15th chapter last week, we saw three things that were lost. The lost sheep, the lost money, the lost son. We're not sure why the younger son didn't want to stay at home, but he had in his heart spirit to go to do something, to be something. He asked for his inheritance and he got it. He left the country that he was familiar with and went to a strange country spent his money, and when he spent all of his money, there was a famine in the land, and he found himself broke in trouble. Had a job feeding the pigs, and as he was there feeding the pigs, the Bible says he came to himself. He came to himself. When we look at life and look at the way that we were created, and we realize that there are two forces at work today. There's the force, obviously, of God at work, and then there's the force of the world at work. We learn that the things of the world are messed up, if I can use that word, messed up. And we find ourselves in the environment of this world, we find sometimes that we too are messed up. Something that we learn very early in life that we all have an addictive nature. And this morning as I was pondering and I wrote down some things concerning addictive nature, I got to thinking the very first thing that I was addicted to, and it was, wait for it, a pacifier. And then later as, as I got older in life, I found myself again in places I didn't want to be, doing things I didn't want to do, hanging with people I really didn't like. I remember when I came to the Lord and God set me free and delivered me, I realized the friends that I thought were my friends, we had absolutely nothing in common other than getting high. And so they weren't really friends at all. They were just people in my life that helped me do my own thing and live my own life. 
And when we look at the DNA of God, the way that we were created, we learned two weeks ago that all of us have something in common. We all have the DNA of God in us, and in that DNA of God, there is a window or door that we can knock, and we can invite God into our life, and we can be born again, not physically, but spiritually. And in that journey, when we are born again, the Word of God begins to encourage us to be careful who we hang out with, what we do, that we don't hang around with empty-minded people that have they don't understand the things of God, and so therefore there are substitutes in their life that make them feel good. And as we look at the DNA of God, we learn that every one of us were born, were, were born today with the ability to, to, to do two things. We were born with the ability to receive love, and we're born with the ability to give love. And no matter how young you are, the smallest baby desires to be held by her mother and, and, and coddled by the father. And a child growing up in that, in, that, in that environment feels that love and knows how to give that love back. And in that environment, we learn that we become very selfish from the crib to the coffin. It looks as if this generation today is all about us. Everything that we do is all about us, where we go to eat, what we wear. Uh, and, and as we look at all the things that are about us, we look at the peer pressure. We wear the shoes because somebody else wears them. We wear the clothing because somebody else wears We drive the car because of peer pressure. There are things that we say. There's music that we listen to. There's places that we go because of the peer pressure. And I, when, I, when I reflect back on peer pressure, I don't remember who first gave me a cup of coffee, but I remember the buzz that I got from that coffee. And then I learned that if you had two cups of coffee, you got twice the buzz. And then when I began to study the brain, I realized that there are reactors in my, in my, in my, in my suke, in my, in my spirit, in my, in my body, and in my, in my mind, there are actors that respond to these type of stimulants. And then as I drank two cups of coffee, I realized it, it took me to a certain level but the third cup of coffee didn't take me quite as high, so I had to have four cups of coffee. Can anybody relate? And therefore, if I was addicted, I've been, I've been free of the pacifier for 61 years, but uh, probably am and still addicted uh, to coffee. And then I think about my first cigarette. I don't know if you remember your first cigarette, but there was peer pressure at the school that I went to during the, during the classes and at lunch and break. Everybody went to the bathroom to smoke. And I remember being caught up in that peer pressure. But I remember that there was a day when a guy was watching me smoke. He said, you're not inhaling. And I said, well, what's that? And so we went way out in the, in the football field. There was a bunch of bushes. And we got down there in the bushes. And he taught me how to inhale. I remember the first cigarette I inhaled. And I remember the buzz that I got from that cigarette. And then I learned that if you get a certain buzz with one, then you get another buzz with two then all of a sudden your, your brain becomes immune to those buzzes and then you find yourself smoking a pack a day or a pack and a half a day and you got to have a cigarette. You cannot live your life without a cigarette. I remember the very first time that I was introduced to marijuana. I was a freshman in college and I was running a, a mobile gas station and in the, where, the where it was at in relationship to the freeway, it was cut off and it wasn't very busy and I had a lot of time on my hands and I pulled my 58 Chevy into the, into the garage, and I lubed it every day, and I changed the oil, and I put all the little buttons and whistles that I could buy through the station. And I remember a kid from high school coming by, 
and asked me if I wanted to smoke a joint with a peer pressure. Uh, I caved, and, and I went through the process of smoking a joint. And he said, well, do you feel anything? I said, no, I really don't. He came back another time, and we did the same thing. And then the third time, he went and got some marijuana that was very potent. And I remember, I remember the high that I got from, that, from smoking that joint. And then it seemed like the same thing with alcohol. I was with a bunch of carpenters. They wanted to drink beer. We drank beer. I remember with the pills. I was with people that were eating pills, so I started eating pills. And maybe that's why the Word of God says it's so careful to watch who you spend your time with, who you're allowing to speak into your life and to motivate you or manipulate you into doing what you're doing and being what you're being. I remember as a child very young in life, and this is probably the tragedy of the American home, that in the American home, every kitchen has a certain cabinet, and in that cabinet, there are things that have the ability to make you feel better. And whether it's Robitussin or whether it's Tums or whether it's Alka-Seltzer or whether it's Metamucil, something in that cabinet helped you feel better than you were before you went to that cabinet. Unfortunately, we ingrain in the minds of our children that if you're sick, there's something you can take to make you feel better. And it gives us an addictive nature. And sometimes we find ourselves not addicted just to drugs or alcohol or tobacco or caffeine, but we find ourselves satisfying that lust in our spirit with shopping or food. Or maybe we're addicted to a computer. Or maybe there's some sexual addictions. Or maybe we're addicted to pride. Or maybe we're addicted to deer hunting and bass fishing and that's certainly not me because I only deer hunt in the season. I don't deer hunt the rest of the year, so obviously that I'm not uh, addicted to that. But I remember the first time I went deer hunting. I remember the first time I caught a bass. I was preaching a revival in Rome, Georgia, and I was single. And my experience in, in fishing was always either on a boat or on the pier where we use anchovies, we use live bait, and we would catch the fish of the ocean. And I remember getting in a bass boat with a, uh, I think he was an insurance agent, and he was taking me bass fishing, and we didn't stop at the bait store, and we didn't get any bait. And so I was kind of concerned on how we're going to catch any fish. And he opened a tackle box, and he had this, this plastic worm that looked like a jelly worm. It looked like a gummy worm, and it was purple with the red tail. And then I thought to myself, okay, we're going snipe hunting. This is a snipe hunt. He's, he's trying to sucker me, trying to make me look stupid. And so I, I didn't pay any attention. I had a thermos, and I had my coffee. I didn't have my pacifier, but I had my coffee. And I'm uh, drinking up a coffee, and he puts that purple worm with that red tail on a, on a hook I've never seen before, and he throws it out by a log, and then all of a sudden there's this explosion, and he starts reeling in. I'm, I'm going, yeah, there's some guy under the water in a scuba diving outfit, put that fish on the line. And so he reels that thing in, and then he puts another purple worm, and he throws it out again on the other side of the log, and he catches another fish, and that's when I ask him, can I have one of those gummy worms? I need one of those gummy worms. He said, well, it'll cost you $50, and I probably paid it. Uh, no, it, that didn't really happen, but I remember the, 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 the feeling or the, the, dic the addictive feeling the first time I caught a largemouth bass. That was significant. Actually, the bass was bigger than the bait, and I was impressed by that, and it launched me into, and I love to bass fish, and I have... Uh, several uh, different types of tackle, but my favorite tackle is probably that proper worm with the red tail because I have confidence in it and I know that it works. But as I look back over the corridors of my life, I realized most of everything that I did 
that was bad for me, I did it with somebody else. That was that peer pressure of hanging with the crowd, wanting to belong, even though I'm a type A personality, I'm more of a, of a leader. But in life, I found myself as a follower. And I remember doing stupid things because I had friends that did stupid things. And then when I got my first hot rod, I put air shocks on it, put big mag tires on it, because that's what you did in the 70s. You, you had a muscle car, and you went from red light to red light burning rubber. And if your car wasn't fast enough to burn rubber, you put it neutral, and you revved it up to about three grand, and you slammed it down to low. And the transmission screamed out with pain as the tires chirped, and you felt so proud because your car could actually burn rubber or you'd find a puddle. I remember one particular year coming home from high school. I had a 54 New Yorker Chrysler Deluxe. It was a big old bomb. And in between the raid and the bumper, you could actually lay down if you wanted to. That's how big it was. And we were headed home, my brother and I, and it had been rain, rained pretty good. And the, the, the curb and gutter were flooded. And there was a guy walking on the sidewalk. And I had this wild idea. I got as close as I could. And I completely soaked him. I threw water eight foot high all over him, completely drenched him. However, when I went through the water, it got up on the mufflers and the car died. And all of a sudden, the car is not going as fast as I want it to. And this guy realizes the car's not going, so he starts chasing me. And I had a feeling he was going to drag me out of the car and hurt me. And that's probably the first time I prayed in tongues. And I put the car in neutral, and I got it, and I got it running, and I drove off, and I... And I remember how funny, how funny that was. But I did that because I saw somebody else do it. That that was not, I didn't think that up on my own. And in life, I realized there are very few things that I really thought up on my own. It was always learned from someone else. And I don't know if you're, you're with me or you can relate to that or, or identify with that. But there is a desire in our heart and there's a, there's a, there's a place in our heart that want what God has for us and it's built in. And there are three things. It is love, if you're taking notes, Bailey, and it's joy, J-O-Y, and it's peace. Those are the three things that we crave. We, we love to be loved, and, and we want to be loved. And if you're raised in an environment where maybe you weren't loved correctly or, or that, that love wasn't there in the family or you had a parent that screamed or you had a parent that tried to live their life through you, they were lousy at softball, but they want you to play softball so they can live out their fantasies. I don't know if you ever had that. My dad, I was not raised that, that way at all, but I've watched people that live to please their parents. I've watched people live to please a girlfriend. I've watched people live to please a boyfriend. And, and in trying to feel the love, they, they found out if they had a hot body, then they could, they could have sex, and people seemed to love them. And they went from one relationship to another, and every relationship got worse and worse and worse. And then it was almost like it was hereditary that, that, that I'm going to date a guy that's going to burn me, hurt me, and wound me. But there's got to be just a little bit of love, a little bit, just, just enough to pacify, to satisfy my longing. And it never turns out that way. Usually it turns out in a horrible relationship and, and destruction and divorce. And sometimes there are children involved. And then you try to, your best to have a healthy home for children where they, when they leave on the weekend and come back. And you're, you're dealing with that all over again. Because that, there's, a, there's a button in our heart and spirit called love that we want to love. And we want to be loved. And then there's a, there's a place in our spirit where we want to be happy. Nobody wants to be miserable except critical people because that's what they do. Critical people criticize. And if you're trying to please a critical person in your life, you need to stop trying to please them 
and to go to them and to say, I'm so sorry that I'm not the person you wanted me to be. That must be really frustrating. And you want to frustrate a critical person, you have that mindset, and you will completely blow their mind. They won't know how to react, how to respond. I'm going to pray for you that God brings people into your life that do exactly the way you want it because critical people criticize if they're awake. And when they're asleep, they're dreaming about trying to criticize somebody and make somebody, it makes somebody better. But we are, we are what we are because of the environment that we are, are with. And I remember in life I did some real bad things, and it wasn't with friends. It was with family. Our family was very tight. I'm the oldest cousin. My youngest cousin pastors a vineyard church in Arizona. But there was a season when we literally did everything together. And went to grandma and grandpa's, there was always tackle football. We would always eat, then we would go. We'd have a blast. We'd play till dark in California. You know, it didn't get cold on Christmas Day. I remember getting sunburned playing basketball in San Diego on Christmas Day. The weather, the, the family, the cousins were around. And then as we started driving, we started driving with each other. And then when the cousins started doing stuff that really wasn't healthy, we found ourselves doing it because it was family. And I remember the very first time that I tried cocaine. There were three of us and my, my two cousins, and they had a mirror, and they dumped out a bunch of coke. And, and I'd watch people do it and thought I knew how to do it. And I put a $100 bill rolled up in my nose, and I went to do the line. And then all of a sudden, I coughed. There are two things you can't cry over, spilt milk and spilt cocaine. There was cocaine all over the, all over the carpet there of that van. And the expression on my two well, they never let me go first again. Um, I will, I will tell you that. And then I remember the first time I ate LSD. I was terrified of LSD. That was not something I ever wanted to do. That was not, that was not my drug of choice, but we were in the mountains. We were camping and uh, we had a rock band and we had a generator and we were partying. We were having a good time. And then Sunday, Saturday night, everybody went back. We stayed over Sunday and my cousin said, you want to eat a tab of acid? Well, I really didn't want to, but he said, I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll, I'll hang with you and you'll, you'll be okay. And I kissed this guy and uh, went there and, and uh, re remember him being with me, helping me kiss this guy. We kissed this guy together. That's what you do with cousins. You excuse me while I kiss. Now, if you're not a Jimi Hendrix fan, you have absolutely no idea what I'm saying. But Purple Haze or Yellow Sunshine, whatever it was, I did it because, I, because there were people in my life that I allowed them to lead me in places I shouldn't have gone and did things that I shouldn't have done. And I don't know if, if any of you can relate to that, but I remember, and, and this is not all about drugs, certainly, but I remember uh, there was a season in my life when my nostrils were, were so messed up because of the cocaine that I couldn't do coke. And there was a guy at a, at a place where I went to buy my drugs, and he said, let me just shoot it into your vein. And uh, because I was there and, and because I wanted the coke in my body and couldn't get it in there, I did something very stupid, and that was a road that led to pig slop. That was a road that led to pig slop. But when he came to his senses, the reason I came to my senses because there was a Hosea somewhere praying a hedge of thorns around me. And when you hit rock bottom, it usually means every morning, Jay, at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock, it didn't matter what I'd, if I'd been stayed up all night long, two or three nights, or when I went to the closet to get clothes for that day, 
all of a sudden that closet would just be overwhelmed by some of the old gospel hymns, the old rugged cross, amazing grace. And I, and I would encounter that before I left the house. And I learned later that my little grandmother every morning at 8 o'clock was praying just for me. And that prayer, it touched me and, and it reminded me of who I was and who I could be and who I was supposed to be. But I was so messed up doing what everybody else wanted me to do that I was in bondage. If you have a loved one that's on drugs, you have a loved one that's on alcohol, if you have a loved one that's just out there somewhere, if you begin to pray a hedge of thorns, the thorns is threefold. Number one, let his wine become flat. That means you lose the ability to get high. And I found myself there, didn't matter what drugs I put in my body, I couldn't get high. That was very frustrating. And then they prayed that my lovers would become uninterested. That meant the people around me, nobody wanted anything to do with me. And then the third part of that prayer is that everything I touched to try to find pleasure, I found pain. And so I found myself in a gutter with a hedge of thorns. And when you're in the gutter, sometimes the only place to go is up. And thank God that he left his throne and took on the form of man and came to earth and got in the gutter with us. He knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly what we are experiencing. And he will take us from where we are and put us in another place. Look at somebody say, another place. Uh, yesterday, I had a very unique experience I wanted to share with you. I, I um, got in the car Friday and drove to LaGrange, Kentucky and got a motel room and, and stayed there the night. And I got up early yesterday morning, and I was at the um, uh, prison, maximum security prison, at 830. And there I went through all of the things you go through to make sure that you uh, can, can place a visit and uh, I spent about two and a half hours with a dear friend of mine, and uh, we laughed together, we, we cried together, we prayed together, we shared the Word of God together, and then we had to leave. And um, it was just a it was just a two-hour window that we got to be together. And when the guard came to our table and said that our time was up, I remember that we went. He went one way towards the towards the prison, and I went the other way. And I'm standing in front of a door waiting to be let out. And he's standing uh, behind a door waiting to be let in. And that just overwhelmed me to think that he's going to go now and be told what he can eat, when he can eat, where he can eat, how he can eat. Going to be told when to get up, what he can do, what he can't do. I'm getting ready to go to McDonald's. I can go to Walmart. I can go to Wendy's. I can watch whatever I want. I can eat whatever I want. I can do whatever I want to do. And I just, I just had a moment there where I was just thankful to the Lord that I didn't do something that found me incarcerated at a place where I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And I thank God for that freedom. And every day I thank God that I didn't do something so stupid in the past that I'd have wound up in prison. And there's been times when the devil tried to put me in prison. I watched the mighty hand of God deliver and bring favor and bring blessing. But that's where we are. We have in our, we have in our, in our, in our DNA, we want to be loved. We want the joy. We want to be happy. And if we don't find that happiness in God, see, there's two types of churches. There's a church where you go and you got to be perfect. You got to be holy. You got to do all these lists of things to do. And then there's a church like this one where you come as you are in the church where they want you to be holy and they want you to be righteous and where you can't have anything wrong with you. Well, this is the church if you don't have anything wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. And so, and so I, begin, I begin to realize 
there's something really wrong with me. And that's why I need the house of God. That's why I need the family of God. That's why I need you as a doctor and a nurse to take me to a place that I need to go. And that's why I need to focus the word of God says, don't hang around stupid people. Don't hang around people that are narrow, so narrow-minded a one-legged neck could stand on their nose and kick their brains out. That's how narrow-minded they are. Don't, don't hang around those people. Hang around people that will encourage you, that will bless you, and that will love you. And the younger son realized, I, I'm in hell. I'm in hell. I don't, have, I don't have the love. I don't have the joy. I don't have the peace. And when you look at joy, the reason that people medicate with alcohol, meth, and cocaine is to get that high of joy. But the way I get my joy is to remember that I'm drawing from the well of salvation, that Jesus Christ saved me, bought me, purchased me, and that's why I'm happy. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. So I have that joy. The world is looking for peace. People are asking for world peace. The Bible says there will never be peace in Israel, never until the Lord returns when 10,000 of us, and he takes that away from the enemy and makes Jerusalem the capital, and we study war no more. But in our, in our hearts, we so badly, we hate tra travail. We hate trouble, turmoil. We want to be peaceful. If we can't find peace in, in the things of God, the Bible says that they that study your law have perfect peace, that there's a peace that passeth all understanding. And when you talk about the peace that passeth all understanding, the Woods family is headed to Ohio to bury a brother 41 years uh, all, his, all his life he's ever known is to check into rehab and check out of rehab and check into this and check out of that. And he'd just been kicked out of rehab because he was found dirty and he was living on the streets and he overdosed and he died. And, and, and the, 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 the Woods family is going to take what they know to that family that doesn't know and they're going, to, they're going to be able to walk in peace. They're going to be able to share that peace because that peace comes from, again, not a bottle or a drug or a pill. That peace comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that no matter how busy God was today, he wasn't too busy to wake you up, put a song in your heart, a new name written down in glory, a joy, a peace, a love where you come to places where you know you love, you know you can have joy, and you know you can have peace. And, and if we could just somehow introduce the drug addict to Jesus. He is the prince of peace. If we could just somehow introduce the drug addict to Jesus, because the Bible says when you connect to him, you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Sometimes I find myself laughing. Why are you laughing? I don't know why I'm laughing, but I'm not crying. And I'm happy. I, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm happy. I'm just overwhelmed sometimes by the goodness of God and the favor of God. And sometimes he chases us down just to overwhelm us with his goodness. And let me tell you something. There, there, is, there, there is deliverance from a rehab. There is deliverance from alcohol. There is deliverance from drug. There are people that God wants to bring into your life that know where you're at. They know where you've walked because they have the same testimony. And they can tell you, I used to be miserable. I used to be unhappy. I used to medicate. I used to, I used, shopping was my God. Eating was my God. Food was my God. The computer was my God. Uh, uh, sexual addiction was my God. But don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. 
And since I found the church and found a place to pray, there's been a change in me. I have found a better way. And some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'm going to fly away to a land on God's celestial shore. I'm going to fly away. This world is not my home. I'm looking for a city that has foundations. And one day he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Do I have a friend in the house this morning? And again, we have come to the end of the session where I did not get to share with you the five things the prodigal received. But let me tell you, I I made some notes here about the prodigal when he went home. That night, he went to bed clean with a new robe. That night, he went to bed full with a fatty calf. That night, he didn't sleep on a park bench, but that night, he slept in a bed. And the next morning, he woke up with all of the potential, all the destiny, and all the favor that his father had for him. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we've entered in your gates with thanksgiving into your courts with praise. We've had a song, a testimony. We've sowed an offering. We've committed. We've given to you. We pray this morning that this word would change us, that we don't have to look for peace We don't have to look for joy. We don't have to look for love in something superficial or artificial or out of order. But this morning when we gather in your house and we gather in your name and we focus on you, you promise to be with us. You promise to touch us, to bless us, to change us, to give us hope, and to give us an expected end. Good plans you have for us. Allow this week to be one of those weeks where doors open for us, that we begin to see your goodness, your favor. That like we, like, like we have a desire to get up in the morning to study your word, read your word, take a private moment of devotion, knowing the day is going to be busy, and we probably won't have, to have time to do that later in the day. But give us that quality time with you that we can learn, we can grow. And, Father, if there's one here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray this morning that they would not give up hope, that they can be happy, they can be at peace, they can be loved and they can be a part of your family in Jesus' name. As no one's looking around, just for a moment, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel you've drifted. <coughs> you've gone too far. The Bible says there's no place that you can hide from God. You might be in a hell, but he's there. You might be in a mountain, but he's there. You might be in a cave, but he's there. You may be overwhelmed with self-knowledge and self-education. He's still there. A simple, childlike confession to acknowledge he's the Lord of your life is all that it takes. God so loved the world and you that he gave his only begotten son that if today you would believe in him, you would not perish and not just have everlasting life, but have a full life here. And I'm here this morning to tell you that it's not over until something good happens. The Word says that when we come to God, that He's working all things for our good. So you might feel like you're in a storm or a battle or a war or a frustration, but good is on His way. Good things are coming. What the enemy intended for evil, God will work for your good as He brought you here this morning. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, if you just put your hand up, let Him see it. This one, you and Him. No one else is involved here, just you and Him. Is there one? Pastor Hank, I'd just like to draw a little closer to God this morning. I'm not where I need to be spiritually, and this morning I want to come home. Are you here? Father, you see our hearts, you see our spirit, you see us. 
We love you. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this word. Thank you for all of my brothers and sisters that I can grow. I can be loved. I can love. I can reach out to them. They can reach out to me. And together, we can find that way called holiness. And together, we can make heaven our home. In Jesus' name we pray. You all said, that will conclude this teaching today. We hope that you were blessed. A couple things I need to make you aware of. Number one, uh, there has been an offer made on the facilities here. It's not the offer we want. We have uh, counted.